0: When you look in the Bible, you remember what we talked about last week? Flawed families are not the exception, but what? They're the norm. They are all over Scripture. You remember Adam and Eve? Their first son murdered their second son. Father Abraham had a propensity to lie when it came to saving his own skin. And in fact, he treated his wife Sarah as property, offering her to a foreign dignitary in order to save his own skin. Then he blends the family by marrying Hagar at his wife's insistence. Job Job married a woman that when he got sick, told him to just curse God and die. Jacob, a pathological deceiver, marries Rachel, who was an idol worshiper and a thief. Reuben, Jacob's oldest son, slept with his father's mistress. Moses had a temper problem. His sister Miriam had a jealousy problem. And his brother Aaron was weak-willed. Samson physically strong, emotionally weak. Eli, the priest was a permissive parent. And his two sons, Extorted money from the people when they came to the tabernacle to worship. And if you read the story, they also desecrated the tabernacle by their actions. King David. King David was a polygamist and an adulterer. A son from one marriage raped his half-sister from another marriage and then another son murdered the rapist and a third son tried to take David's throne from him. King Solomon killed his brother Adonijah in order to secure his throne. And of course, you know, we always talk about him being the wisest man that ever lived, but I don't know, guys. He married 700 women and he had 300 official concubine mistresses. I don't think that was very smart. (laughs) And in that, he brought their idols as they came into his presence. And that man, it appears, died far away from God. As he followed those idols in his older days, even many of the prophets struggled with broken homes. Do you remember Hosea? you remember his wife, the prostitute Gomer, who was publicly unfaithful? Now, why do I bring up these familiar family Failures from the Bible. Well, one thing is, if you think the Bible's dull, you've not really read it. There's a lot of stuff in there, which, by the way, reflects what? Real human behavior. Okay? Now, some of these people I mentioned, we hold in high esteem, but they weren't perfect. And they didn't have perfect families. But you see, that's kind of the point. God works through imperfect families. So I don't bring this up to discourage you. But to encourage you. To give you hope. To tell you, don't give up. We also see in Scripture that God works through those without a family. Now, if you happen to have your scriptures with you, uh, Scott already told you to pull them out. I'm going to tell you to do it again, whether paper or electronic. We're going to be in the book of Acts. I want you to flip over to Acts 8. I'm going to be reading mostly from the NIV 1984 edition. You may be reading something different, but if you follow along, you will find they say just about the same thing. Down around verse 26 is where we're going to start. Philip's family seems to be some kind of an exception because Philip, we know, followed the Lord. He followed the Lord so well in his home that his daughters followed the Lord. In fact, it is stated that they prophesied or they proclaimed the Lord as well. In Acts 8, we see Philip spreading the gospel into Samaria and Africa, which is where we're going to look. They're at verse 26. Follow along with me. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Where's Gaza? You know that place? It's that strip you hear about every now and again in the news. You used to hear about it a lot in the 80s was Philistine territory over on the coast, right? So, go down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out on his way and he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. By the way, Candace is one of those dynasty names. Uh, Most likely, this is the same a country that's mentioned in the Old Testament as Cush, that same area. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip to go to that chariot and stand near it. Then Philip ran up To the chariot, and he heard the man was reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb before a shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Or to put it in modern terms, he didn't have any descendants. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way home to Africa, to Ethiopia, rejoicing. Now, what a great story about a man who is searching for truth and finding it in Christ. Amen? I tell you, folks, if you're searching for truth, including you guys that are watching us on Facebook. If you're searching for truth, you owe it to yourself to read the Bible. It is the best-selling book of all time. It is certainly not a boring book. It is a book about the human condition, but more than that, it's about man's search for meaning and finding God and finding meaning in Him. So if you want to be intellectually honest, how about reading it for yourself before you discount it? But this man, this official, this eunuch, reminds us that when, when someone comes to clarity about Jesus... And about their sin. And about the fact that they're separated from God. And their need for forgiveness. They naturally want to submit themselves to Christian baptism. But why are we considering this story about a single man in a series on families? You know why? Because everyone can have a family even those that are denied a family of their own. Acts 8.27, Luke records that this man is a eunuch. That word literally means a bedkeeper or a chamberlain or an attendant. Eunuchs never have a biological family. Because that privilege has been taken from them. They don't marry, so they can't have children. Now, why is that? Well, in Esther, we read that eunuchs are in charge of the king's harem. In 2 Kings 9, when we're reading about Jezebel, you remember it mentions that there were eunuchs that were on the balcony with her, and they threw her down. Why were they there? They were there to be her attenders, to protect her. In Jeremiah 8, 600 years before Christ, we see that having eunuchs as officials of the Ethiopian head of state was actually a very ancient practice. And there's probably two main reasons for it. One, it forced that person's devotion to their daily duties to the king, to the queen, to the state. And the second, when you realize that they were chamberlains, that they looked after harems and queens, they would never have children that might challenge the throne yet being a eunuch does not exclude anyone from God's family we look over in Matthew 19 12 and we read this from Jesus himself for some eunuch, some are eunuchs because they were born that way others are made that way by men and others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven that's three different ways, is it not? Okay. So Jesus affirms that there's more than one way for a person to be a eunuch to be without a family to call their own. Jesus says they're born that way. You know what we used to call that in the society when I was growing up? We called that person a confirmed Bachelor. Yeah. In fact, I can remember some very godly men who were confirmed bachelors. They never married. In fact, satisfying their sex drive was never really a focus for them. They were completely secure to be alone. And pardon me for just a minute. Young people in this room On the internet. Just because you don't have feelings for the opposite sex does not mean you're homosexual. That's a false dichotomy that our society is forcing on people. Let's move forward. The second way. Made that way by men. We know what that means, right? In fact, when we think of eunuch, that's the first definition we tend to look at, right? Males that tended to be the ones that were in charge of females within the palace structure, within the harems would be castrated. But the third is an interesting category. Renounced for The kingdom of heaven. Renounced marriage for the kingdom of heaven. So focused on God that even if they have strong physical drives, they set that aside because their desire for the things of God is stronger. Kind of reminds me of Paul. What about you? Paul, would he fit that category? Yeah. In later traditions of Christianity, monks and nuns. But you know who else that reminds me of? Reminds me of Jesus himself. May not have ever stopped to think about that. Does God have a place at his table for people who are never married or are divorced or are widowed? Of course he does. However, that does not mean that they always feel welcome. You think about the, the real eunuch, the one who has been changed by men, physically altered This particular man, this Ethiopian, high rank, but no longer had hope of a legacy. There's loneliness that comes when we're alone. Even at times when we know we're going to be alone for a long time. And for him, maybe some feelings of shame at times of attraction. And yet, God handpicked Philip to go get this man. Friend, every individual has a place in God's family. Peter says in Acts 10 God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now, this is in the context of Cornelius. This is in the context of Gentiles coming into the kingdom of God. But there's two things we can note from what Peter says. One has a fear of God. They know who God is. They know he is holy, that he is creator, and that he has a plan for us. And that plan is the second thing, does what's right. Remember what James tells us? Oh, you believe there's a God? Great. The demons in hell, they shudder. But where are they? See, it's not just a matter of knowing Christ, knowing about Christ. We have to put on Christ. Part of that is when he is Lord, he has undisputed possession of everything we are, which means he has the right to tell us what to do. So as Peter says, we acknowledge that God's salvation is in Jesus Christ and we adjust our lifestyle, we adjust our actions to the teaching in Scripture. You remember what Jesus said about family? Over in in Mark 3, Jesus is teaching at a house and his mothers and his brothers come to call him home. Now, if you're thinking about it in realistic terms, maybe they think he's in danger. Maybe they think he's going off the deep end. I don't know. I love those three words, right? I don't know. But they were there to try to get him to come home. Somebody goes in and tells Jesus, your mother, your brothers are outside looking for you. Do you remember what Jesus said? Mark 3, 33. Who are my mother and my brothers? he asked. Then he looked at those that were seated around the circle. Right? And he said, here is my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my mother and my, si- my brother my sister my mother. Anyone who does God's will can have a family. They're in his family. You see, this man, without a family, on a desert road headed back to Africa, had a desire to do God's will if someone just showed him what that was. Acts 8.27, we see that this man had gone up to Jerusalem to worship. Which is interesting because according to Deuteronomy twenty three one, no one who has ever been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. What's the law? He wouldn't even have been able to enter the outer court. Of the temple. When Philip showed up. This eunuch was reading from Isaiah 53. In fact verses 7 and 8. Would you agree that it would be reasonable to assume. That's not where he opened it up. And he didn't open it up right then as Philip showed up. Would it be reasonable to assume. That he had been reading that scroll for some time. And was probably reading in Isaiah 53. Before Philip came up alongside of the chariot. Let me tell you where Isaiah 53 starts. Verse 1. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot. And like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing about his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one... From whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, and we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I know those verses are familiar to you but in hearing them again and realizing the eunuch was reading these verses where do you think here in Isaiah 53 where do you think this eunuch could possibly have identified with the one who was being described in the text you know Man has a high post, and in some ways, he has some respect for that, but can you think of what happens in this shadows, the whispers? He knew what it was like to be despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deep grief. He knew the hushed whispers, the what it was to be misunderstood and scorned, the feeling that no one could ever care him in a way he'd been treated rather harshly and he knew he was going to die without descendants in Acts 34 what we see is Philip came to where this man was and he took him to where he needed to be. Yes? Okay. We recognize that Isaiah 53 points to the Messiah, it points to Lord Jesus. Having met God's suffering servant in the prophecy of Isaiah, this man. Wanted to be part of that family. A worldwide, time-crossing, eternal place of, of belonging where no one is rejected. In God's family, everyone has a place and everyone has a purpose. Paul. The self-proclaimed murderer is the greatest teacher in all of Christendom behind Jesus. Peter, who repeatedly denied knowing him in Jesus' time of need, preached to 3,000 people into the kingdom of God on that day of Pentecost. And this eunuch... You know what he's going to do? He's going to carry the good news of Jesus Christ into Africa. After he was baptized, Philip was suddenly gone. Scripture doesn't say so. But in all likelihood, I bet that man kept reading that scroll looking for What else he could find listening for God's voice in the writings of Isaiah. And as he read, he's going to wind up just three chapters later as we would talk about it. At Isaiah 56, where he's going to read this. Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let not any eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and holds fast to my covenant, to them... I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters, and I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. Imagine when this man made it home, and somebody asked him, So, how was your trip? What do you think he said? Let me tell you what I found on my trip. I have a family. Christian siblings, we are to be family for people who have none, we're to be a place of refuge. We are to be a place where everybody has purpose in a part of this kingdom. We are to be a place where we hold each other accountable for following our Lord in the way that he has called us to. Both with what we do within the group, and don't forget he told us to bring others in. And it is a family we get to choose. Friend, you can find belonging and purpose in family today. No one can keep you from having a part of this family. And no one can keep you from having spiritual children in this family. Father God, we thank you so much for the fact that your, your story that is expressed through the Old and New Testament is alive and speaks to us and at times is very challenging and yet Father is very real and talks about real people and real needs. And we thank you that you have given us purpose, that you have a plan for each and every one of us, and that we can belong to a worldwide family that transcends time. As we move into this time of devotion, of introspection, of invitation, We thank you that with all the loneliness that there is in this world and the loneliness that may even attack our heart, that our salvation is not based on how we feel, but it's based on the fact of the cross and we are never alone when we are in your family.